Well, as previously mentioned, our Pastor David Glade is away today, and we are blessed to have the Reverend Dr. Sam Pasco with us. Uh, Sam has been teaching our Anglican heritage. He's written a book to that nature as well, and he has been blessing us with that. If you haven't attended that class, it'll be in the lab theater across the way after this service, after scones and coffee, of course. And Sam will be teaching our Anglican heritage. Sam, thanks for being here with us again, and thanks for bringing the Word of God to us. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. Please be seated. I realize that there's no kiddies church today, so if your kids start to get rambunctious and you need to take them out or whatever, um, David asked me to keep my sermon down below an hour, so I'm gonna try to do that. <laughs> He also assigned me the topic, um, I'm trying not to take it personally, uh, but because I am a little overweight, um, but it is one of my favorite subjects, which is food. And uh, food is in some ways a simple gift, and in other ways it's not a simple gift. We're in a series on simple gifts. You can, food is a complex mix of chemicals that mix with the chemicals in our body and uh, I was listening to a Frenchman talk about the way Americans approach food. He said, you Americans approach food like medicine. Uh, you, you look at the nutrition labels and you try to figure out how much protein and all that stuff. He says, we French view, view food as art. It's something, it's a way to express ourselves. It's a way to enjoy life. It's, it's not just a chemical interaction. There's something metaphysical going on. And, you know, you, I think they've changed the food pyramid since when I was a kid. Is that true? They've kind of changed it. They added cream-filled, I think, as one of the, the <laughs> major food groups, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the, the, the sermon series is called Simple Gifts, and it's based, I think, on an old shaker tune, which sat dormant for a long time until Aaron Copeland turned it into Appalachian Spring. Many of you may recognize that. It's been re and re-recorded. You can, if you Google it, you'll see that it's been done by everything from bluegrass bands to drum and bugle corps. Uh, it's one of the great little tunes, but there's a text that goes with it, which I think is very instructive. Um, and it's, "'Tis the gift to be simple." And if you know anything about the shakers, I've met a shaker. I'm probably the only person in the room who has actually met a shaker because they were dying out. And this was in the 1970s, the early 1970s. And there was like two left at the shaker village in New Hampshire. And so I actually met a shaker. She was a little old lady and um, her name was Beatrice, I think. Uh, they're all gone now because they didn't believe in sex. And so they only grew by attracting people and, um, or, or adopting orphans. But anyway. Shaker furniture, very simple, but beautiful and elegant. Uh, they, brought, they brought a lot to our life. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where you ought to be. And when you find yourself in the place that's right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, we can bow and bend and not be ashamed. And as we turn, turn will be our delight until by turning, we come out right. Now, it was probably a dance tune, to be honest, because the way that the Shakers worshipped was, uh, they were initially called the Shaking Quakers, and their idea of worship involved not just words 
and not even just music, but also dance. And so it was almost like a square dance where you would circle the room and, and move around. Now, they were separated men and women. Like I said, they didn't believe in that. Uh, but the idea was that you would go around and you would bow and bend and turn, but eventually you would come back to the same place that you started, but you would have had new experiences. It was kind of symbolic of life that we come back to the same place, but in between the experiences, we are changed people. So, uh, wonderful, wonderful little tune. Um, it, the, the, the Baptist hymnal doesn't have simple gifts in it, but it does have the line that we just sang, worthy of bowing and worthy of bending of knees. So there's that theme that we just sang. Now, the Jews, uh, they, when God said to the Jews, I want you to be a separate people. I want you to be unique in the world. And he said, I'm going to give you certain markers that are going to set you apart from the world around you. One of them will be your use of time. The rest of the world... They view time one way, but you're going to take one out of every seven days and you're going to take it off. And you're going to honor me on that day. You're going to take a 14% of your work week and you're just going to not do any work. They, he said, I want you to view money differently than the rest of the world. I want you to give 10% to me. I want you to give 10%. Both of these things, the, the extracting time from our week and extracting money from our wallet, reminds us that we're not God. It reminds us that he does care for us. God said you're also going to dress a little differently than the rest of the world. You're gonna, if you're a woman, you're going to be modest. If you're a guy, you're going to wear a talit. You know? uh, they even, if you see Orthodox folks, you're, even your haircut is going to be a little different. They've got the forelocks. But perhaps the most enduring way, other than the Sabbath, is food. He said, I want you to look different than the world, not just in terms of time and in terms of your dress and in terms of um, your work habits, but also in terms of your food. I'm going to give you a cycle of fasts and feasts. Your life is going to be on an annual basis celebrating and repenting. And even more than that, there's going to be certain foods that you're not going to be allowed to eat. Why? There's been all kinds of people who tried to figure out why kosher food is kosher and all that stuff. And they've said, well, they're bottom feeders and there's trigonosis and all that stuff. But I've talked to several Jewish scholars and they said the bottom line is he wanted them to be different because he wanted them to be different. That's the reason. It's like the seven-day week. Why seven? Napoleon tried to change it. They tried to make it more logical. You know, like they, when they created the decimal system, they said everything needs to be in 10, so they created a 10-day work week. Didn't work. There's something in our DNA that says every seven days you've got to take a day off. God said, I want you folks to be unique. Now, we've been released from kosher food laws in the book of Acts, but that principle still stands. The Bible is kind of ambivalent about food. On the one hand, there's lots of verses in the New Testament about the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap, and yet God uh, feeds them. The, uh, Paul says, hey, the body was made for food and food for the body. I will not be mastered by any of them. Um, there, Jesus said, I have food to eat you know not of, when his disciples came and brought him food. Um, is not life more than food, he said. And, and so there's this sort of almost dismissive attitude toward food. And on the other hand, there are these wonderful examples 
that we read two of this morning, one from the story of Elijah, where Elijah is running scared. His life has fallen apart. It's not what he hoped it would be. He is scared to death and he's running and running and running and he is tired and he is worn out. And he falls asleep and an angel of the Lord wakes him up and there has been a meal prepared for him. He didn't have to cook it. The angel wakes him up and says, hey, God has already been here. God has anticipated your need. God has provided for you a meal. So now I want you to get up, have a snack and a nap. And sometimes God's will for you is a snack and a nap. And you need to remember that, okay? It, don't feel bad if you say, you know, I'm really stressed. I just, I need a snack and a nap, but that can't possibly be God. Yeah, it could be God. It could be. But then there's the, you know, tell that to your spouse, okay? Um, this is the will of God for me. I need a snack and a nap. So bring me some Oreos and milk and I'm going to go upstairs. Uh, but then there's the, the gospel story where the disciples are out at night and, and they, they did all their fishing at night because it was cooler and the fish were more available and they had little lights on the boat and the fish would be attracted to the lights and they would throw out their nets and they were having no luck at all. But over on the shore at a place called Tabga, which I've been many times and you can go to February with me, we'll go to Tabga, uh, they see a little fire burning over there and they wonder who's up in the middle of the night cooking. Who's, who's over there? They don't know. It, it could be anything. So they're doing their fishing thing. Didn't catch a thing. They're getting ready to come in. Dawn is coming up and this voice says, try over there. They say, what the heck? Haven't caught anything yet. They try over there, pull in a huge catch of fish. And John recognizes, he says, that's Jesus. And so they go in and Jesus has already prepared breakfast for them. Jesus is there and the meal is ready for them. He has anticipated their need and he has made provision for them. I was so glad when I grew up on the Jetsons and the idea was that by the 21st century, we would just be popping, you know, a food pill, right? No taste. I'm so glad that that's not true because God makes provision not only for our nourishment, but also for our pleasure. And I want to just pick up on a couple of things here that uh, two images of food that are given to us in the scripture. One is milk and honey. When Abram was given the promise, he said, I'm going to send you to a land flowing. In other words, abundance of milk and honey. Now, when you and I think milk and honey, at least when I think milk and honey, I think giant or Harris Teeter. Okay. And I think, okay, the honey's right about here and the milk is over there. If I go a step back behind that, I think cows and bees, all right? Jews did not think Harris Teeter and giant. Jews did not even think cows and bees because they didn't have any cows and bees were not kosher. So they wouldn't have anything to do with bees. They thought abundant pasture and flowers because they believed, wrongly, but they still believed it, that bees did not make honey. Bees just collected honey from flowers and took it back to their hive. And so when they heard milk and honey, they thought abundant pasture, enough for my goats to create milk, abundant milk, so that there would be extra. And there would be beauty and there would be sweetness. If you think about it, the only sweetness that they had in their life as nomads wandering in the wilderness was occasionally honey. No such thing as sugar. Sugar is only mentioned one time in the Bible, barely in the book of Jeremiah, where God says in Jeremiah 6, I don't care about sugar. He says, you can keep that stuff. 
So the only sweetness in a, in a nomad's life would have been honey when they came across it. So they're thinking nourishment, abundance, sweetness, and beauty. That's what they heard. If we look at the New Testament, bread and wine. Bread, unbelievably important in anybody's diet. Again, nourishment and beauty and sweetness. Nobody needs wine. You can live your whole life without wine. And wine has caused a lot of problems in a lot of lives. My, I, I don't want to be facile about this. Um, my family has been touched by the scourge of alcoholism. And so I don't, I'm not saying this with, in a facile way, but at the same time, the scripture in Psalm 104 says, wine gladdens the heart. You can live without wine, you can't live without bread. And so when Jesus expresses himself and says, I am the bread of life. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. You may have noticed when you get the words, uh, when the, the priest puts the bread in your hand, sometimes he may say, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. That comes from John 6, where he says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Bread is something that we need for nourishment. Back to that theme of milk. It is a way that God takes care of our body, but just like honey takes care of our souls, with beauty and sweetness, wine also takes care of our souls. Because wine, to a Jew, was not just a symbol of an alcoholic beverage. You know, it takes a minimum, an absolute minimum of four years for a grapevine to produce grapes that are sufficient to be able to make wine. Nomads do not drink wine. They can't get it because they don't, they're not in a place long enough to grow vines. They're, they can't tend them. A wine to a Jew in that time symbolized stability. It symbolized we're going to be here long enough to plant and grow and cultivate and harvest and wait for the wine to mature. And it was a symbol to them not of getting high, but a symbol to them of God's provision for safety, stability, and an abundant life that went above and beyond bread and water. And so when Jesus talks about bread and wine, he is talking about more than that. When Jesus prepares a table before us, in the words of Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, in the presence of my anxieties, in the presence of my troubles, in the presence of my doubts. The Lord has already prepared a table for us. And he offers not just a little piece of bread and a little sip of wine. He offers his presence. And he says, in the words of that song, when you come forward and you bow and you bend the knee, you shan't be ashamed. When true simplicity is gained, we bow and we bend, but we shan't be ashamed. For by turning, turning, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come out right. You leave your seat, you come forward, you bow, you bend the knee, you turn, you go back to your seat, but you go back to your seat changed, maybe just a little bit, maybe a lot. But the Lord prepares a table before us in the presence of whatever is going on in your life, doubts, anxieties, troubles, enemies. He gives us bread to nourish us, wine to delight the hearts, 
abundant mercy. In a few minutes, we're going to pray a prayer that says, in your abundant and great mercies, an extravagant beauty and sweetness. Maybe in the end, food is a simple gift. A little bread, a sip of wine. But the Lord meets us there and offers us abundant life, nourishment, beauty, and the joy of extravagant sweetness. Amen.